Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Stacking the Box College Football Edition. One week in the books, another week ahead, and a lot more weeks after that. I'm your host, Reed Wallach, joined today by Cody Williams. Loaded show. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk some pleasant surprises, some not-so-pleasant surprises. (laughs) We're definitely going to talk about how we got back on track with some of our picks. We're now both slightly in the red but after the debacle that was week zero, picking every game, definitely noted marketed improvement there. So things are back on track. Cody, That's right. what's going on, man? How's it feel after uh, one week, one official week in the books of the college football season? You know, having the full board really changes how you pick games. Um, you know, you're not forced into looking at, you know, the New Mexico State UMass game and trying to, you know, force something there. So it's nice to have that back. And uh, I mean, it was a fun week, man. Fun week one, like top to bottom. Yeah, lot, it started strong. Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about like the early week games, but that Saturday afternoon, getting started with Colorado TCU. I mean, I think when we look back on this season, that I know it was week one, but even if that was like week three, that stands the test as one of the games of the year. The, oh, yeah. the circumstance of the game, the game itself, everything in between. It was really um, an awesome game, awesome experience. And then the entire day was filled with um, you know, a lot of impressive performances. A lot we learned a lot about teams. And then Sunday, LSU, Florida State, great game. And then uh the the <laughs> manning the rear, Clemson Duke, uh, with one of the crazier outcomes of the entire college football season. We're gonna talk about that in just a few minutes when we talk about some of our pleasant surprises and not so pleasant surprises. But first, let me tell you about our sponsors. DraftKings, they have this great new promo. Uh, college football season already got started. NFLs this weekend. Don't miss any of it by opting in to this DraftKings promo. New customers, bet $5 on any sport, and you get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Doesn't matter if you win. Doesn't matter if you lose. You just get $200 from signing up, depositing $5, and betting it on any sporting event this weekend. That's all you have to do. Um, this offer is available for new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer. All you need to do when you sign up is put in the code STB, that stands for stack in the box, and you are eligible for bet five and you get $200 instantly. Again, that is code STB. All right, Cody, let's talk some pl- some good surprises and then we'll do some not so good surprises I guess we'll start with Colorado because that was the, yeah. the intro I kind of went with. But team that had a win total of three and a half, I was kind of on board with – I didn't know where this was going to go. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have high expectations, but I didn't have like this was going to be a disaster. They had talent there. We'll see how it all comes together. So I was waiting to see approach. I saw a lot of love for TCU heading into last week. I didn't, I didn't really get behind that. But 
Shadur Sanders looked fantastic, carved up that TCU defense. Travis Hunter obviously plays 100-plus snaps. Dylan Edwards, four touchdowns, the true freshman running back. Uh, I was just – I was surprised that they looked like the more prepared and Mm -hmm. the more – the more talented team, honestly. I, I don't know if I'm going to say like Colorado's a Pac-12 title contender. I don't think that's the case. I think that this might say a little bit more about TCU, but Colorado showed up and they played that game and they played that game damn well. That was a well-deserved victory, in my opinion. So I was very surprised with how put together the Buffs looked in week one under yeah. all the circumstances. I completely agree. Like that was the most stark thing is like, you know, you're looking at a team in TCU that was national runners up last year. Right. And they looked like the less disciplined team for an entirely new coaching staff for Colorado, uh, like an entirely new roster that came via the transfer transfer portal. And they were disciplined. They weren't the ones committing costly, costly penalties. They weren't the ones, you know, making mental errors and things like that. That was on, that was TCU that we saw make the most costly ones in that department. And then the other thing that I come back to is when you have like, I think, like you said, it says a little bit about TCU, but when you have mid tier power five teams, sometimes the presence of dudes like makes all the difference in the world. And Colorado has dudes like the depth behind those dudes might not be special, but their dudes are elite level guys. And so like that, I think that raised the ceiling this year. Like I agree with you. I don't think they're a PAC 12 contender or anything like that, but I think that, Whereas I was very dubious of them making a bowl. I think that's very real, a real possibility, especially with a pretty, you know, with what we saw from Nebraska last week, probably, you know, they're going to go three and on non-conference. So they just need three wins against the PAC 12. And, you know, the bottom of the PAC 12 is not particularly good this year. Mm -hmm. Like they're very live for a bowl, which I was very, you know, skeptical of coming into the year. Yeah. The bar definitely raised after one game, but I'm, I'm not going to go crazy and say, Oh, this team, like, I think the the Heisman Trophy love and all that's a little yeah. that people get a little ahead of themselves. I I think the fact that they looked so put together and that you know and it, it sounds so cliche that like you know Deion Sanders was saying all this stuff about like how they believe and that they really are starting to believe now. They didn't believe before the game and now they do believe because I told them that they could do this. Like that belief, the belief is going to start bleeding into the games. I yeah. do wonder if there was such a such an emphasis on this game against TCU that maybe there is a little bit of a letdown effect against Nebraska upcoming this weekend at home. I don't know if it's in this particular spot because I think Nebraska um, too many challenges on offense with Jeff Sims. Yeah. But I think when they play a legit team, like you're looking at Oregon, I believe it's week four. Um, yeah. That's probably where I'm going to expect to see Colorado take a step back. Like maybe the hype train gets a little crazy and we get a good number on Oregon. But Great stuff on Colorado there. Let's keep it moving, though, because, Cody, I know you want to talk about your North Carolina Tar Heels. They don't just beat South Carolina. They lay a whooping on South Carolina. That's right. North Carolina holds South Carolina to negative two total rushing yards. That's Mm -hmm. less than a about a .02 negative yards per carry for the Gamecocks. (laughs) I mean, North Carolina absolutely laying it down on South Carolina. Rough weekend. for South Carolina, all schools. We're going to talk about another one in a few minutes here. But, um, Cody, thoughts on your Tar Heels? First off, I want to give a shout-out to our producer, Joanne, a big South Carolina <laughs> fan who is lighting us up in our chat right now, uh, letting <laughs> me know that she doesn't want to hear this. But, no, I like part of this for North Carolina definitely comes down to South Carolina's offensive line is probably hot garbage. 
But at the same time, it is an SEC offensive line. And one of the things we've seen with North Carolina when they get into these big games against like the top tier competition is that there's a there had been a especially last year, there was a distinct lack of uh, physicality. Like they couldn't manhandle opponents that they should be able to manhandle with the athletes they had in the building with the way Mac Brown's recruited in Chapel Hill. And they dominated in the, at the lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball against South Carolina. And that's an SEC team. And so, like, I'm not saying that, you know, they're gonna, they would do the same against a Georgia or anything like that or an Alabama. But I think you have to raise the ceiling for this North Carolina team because if they have that element of physicality and they were able to dominate, you know, a mid-tier SEC team without their – who I would argue Devontae Walker did not play in that game. So, like, they mm-hmm. didn't have who was supposed to be their number one offensive weapon in that game. And they still made it look pretty easy. And Drake May didn't even play perfectly. He had a couple turnovers in this game. And the fact that they still, you know, had it won by two touchdowns, that says a lot about the way, you know, I've heard some people in North Carolina circles talk about, and it feels bad saying this about college kids, but addition by subtraction. You know, they lost a lot in the transfer portal, but it was also a lot of guys, you know, like Tony Grimes, who never lived up to what their recruiting profile was. And so maybe there's something to that. Maybe this team has a little bit of that belief, like we were talking about with Dion in Colorado. Maybe they like they're buying into each other. And like I think you saw that on the field with the way that they approach the game with a more, you know, ground and pound type of physicality. Yeah, I I wonder if this game says more about South Carolina than it does North Carolina. I was down on South Carolina heading into the year. I think offensive line, probably their biggest question mark, and offensive coordinator, Dow Loggins. Um, wasn't super confident in them. And then North Carolina kind of confirms that I'm interested to see how North Carolina backs up. They do have a pretty interesting non-conference schedule, massive favorites against app state. Um, I going to talk about that one in a little bit. And then of course you play Minnesota, another, a a more physical team than South Carolina with some better, you know, some better talent and, you know, more of a better system inside the trenches. So definitely interested to see that one. Two teams we do want to talk about, though, in terms of worst surprises. One team lost. One team just didn't look as good in a win. Clemson. This is a team Mm. I uh, bet Cade Klubnick to win the Heisman. I spoke very highly of Clemson. I thought that they were going to run the table in the regular season. That is already dead. That ticket's up in flames. So rough start for the Futures portfolio here. I will say, so let's talk about what happened. We were promised vertical plays downfield, speed and space, the Garrett Riley TCU mold um, after hiring Riley to take over the Clemson offense. This is going to look different than last year. It looked exactly the same as last year. Oh, (laughs) yeah. It was wild. Cade Klubnick didn't look stellar. I think some of that also, though, is the play calling. Mm -hmm. A lot of just quick, you know, slow mesh in the flat quick outs, that's not going to fly. Need to get the ball down the field, put some of these bigger receivers like Antonio Williams in space. Not the case. Um, That being said, I think if you simulate that game nine more times, Clemson probably wins those games. I mean, the team did push the ball down the field. They had two drives inside the 10 that resulted in fumbles. They Mm -hmm. missed about like a 40-yard field goal, which sure, like that happens, but then they missed a 23-yard field goal. Again, inside the 10-yard line, settling for three and missing the kick. Um, I think Duke I Duke deserved the win because they took advantage, but Clemson was the better team on the field. So I'm not going to say that it's over for Clemson, but that is a super concerning loss given how the offense looked in that first game and what was supposed to be a revived offense. 
Um, yeah, a lot of questions here, and obviously the worst surprise in my opinion. But I do wonder if Clemson doesn't fumble the ball twice inside the 10-yard line and they just win, is it kind of just like ho-hum, okay, we're going to work through the growing pains, we're going to get through this. Is it the sticker shock of a loss like that that is overrating how bad the loss is? I, I agree, it's terrible. I mean, I'm pissed. I lost a bunch of you know futures bets on this, but do you, do you think it's over for Clemson? Like, is this the end of them? I, I don't because, I mean, the one thing that stuck out to me in terms of like any type of Clemson optimism coming out of this game is if I had, you know, if I were picking Duke to win that game, it would have been on the back of Riley Leonard, like having an otherworldly performance because he's a great quarterback and a good player, but he was pretty pedestrian. Like Clemson's defense was exactly what you want Clemson's defense to be. They just got he had that one run. He had that one, yeah, which like credit correct. to him. That was sick. That was respect. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, on a down-by-down basis, I don't think Duke's offense – necessarily did anything i thought clemson's defense exactly. fails in that game like they took advantage of opportunities and like that kind of goes to what you're saying like you know sometimes in college football when you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds or 23 year olds with the covid year now but you know um when you're dealing with that you get a lot of variance and sometimes you know we see that one out of 10 games play out on the field and i think that's probably what we saw i am still concerned because i mean there were concerns about clemson's offense like the way it looked initially in the spring game like people were like, oh, you know, maybe Garrett Riley wasn't showing everything. Like it just looked like the players weren't comfortable in it. And I think we kind of saw that. Like I understand that some of it is variance, like getting into the red zone and committing turnovers. But at the same time, like if you're not completely, if you don't have a full grasp of an offense and a system, then you're going to perform uncomfortably in those, you know, tight positions like the red zone and stuff like that. And, you know, late in the game when they were driving and they fumbled in the red zone. So, I'm concerned about Clemson and I do think they're up against the eight ball because we saw, you know, we saw Florida state completely work LSU in the second half. And then we see a Clemson team that was supposed to be, you know, challenging Florida state already had take a conference loss. And so yeah. like, it's uh, I mean, I was pouring one out for you and your future bets when I was watching that game for sure. <laughs> one thing I'll say the cope, the copium I've been uh, inhaling <laughs> no more divisions in the ACC. So yeah. if Clemson is able to, that game is still at Death Valley. I still, you know, I know a lot of people are on the Florida State bandwagon after watching that. Clemson wins that game all of a sudden, everything is back in play it, from the ACC perspective. I'm not saying college football playoff or anything, but I don't know if it's if it's dead yet for Clemson. We will see. We'll we'll see how this offense comes together because I do agree. I think the defense looked pretty strong. I mean, yards per play. I know Duke kind of ripped off a few trunk plays at the end, but. Clemson yeah. outgained them slightly on a yards per play perspective. Um, yeah. And they just couldn't convert inside the red zone. I mean, uh, 1% explosive play rate. They had one explosive play the entire game. That just puts a lot of pressure on your team executing down by down and avoiding the fumbles inside the red zone and all that. Because if you're not ripping off explosive and you're not getting the big plays, then you're going to be up against it and you're going to need to execute play in and play out. Especially um, against a good defensive coordinator like Mike, or not defensive coordinator, but a good head coach like Mike Elko mm -hmm. with a defensive minded approach. Like he's going to have absolutely. Duke ready to take advantage of those opportunities and those little mistakes. So, absolutely. Yeah. Another team that didn't look so good, but they did get a win. Uh, so maybe that eased some of the concerns. Was Ohio State? I watched this game, got the big screen for me. Um, Kyle McCord, not good. Not <laughs> no, good at no. all. Um, Ohio State ends up winning. I believe it's what twenty three to three against Indiana. Yeah. Um, Devin Brown got two drives, wasn't able to do anything. Kyle McCord, in my opinion, I don't have the box. I'm going to pull the box score while you're talking, Cody. But Kyle McCord really struggled in this one. 
No downfield passing. I believe Marvin Harrison had two catches. He had a touchdown called back because his foot was out of bounds. Um, really a big struggle against a outmanned Indiana front. And you saw it felt a lot like Clemson. Mm-hmm. No respect for the passing game. They were loading the box. It was a very run-heavy script for the Buckeyes. Um, I mean, with the weapons, uh, Ibuka, Fleming, Stover, obviously Marvin Harrison Jr., you thought that Ohio State was going to kind of take the top off and really kind of run Indiana off the field, get Devin Brown some run. That was not the case. Um, no. The defense looked very good for Ohio State, as expected against a team like Indiana. But the offense, um, I'm going to call uh, red flags for sure, especially Absolutely. as two guys who like Penn State. This was a hyper, hyper concerning opening game for the Buckeyes. Cody, what'd you say? So I think I, everything you said is spot on. Like Kyle McCord did not look ready at all. And when we, we talked about, you know, going into the season about quarterback battles and I said that, I believe I said that one of my biggest concerns was that the reason that he hasn't named a starter officially before, you know, the first week of the season was that no one was winning the job and everything we saw on Saturday bore that out. Like Kyle McCord clearly didn't win that job. And if Devin Brown, didn't beat out what we saw from Kyle McCord against that Indiana defense. That has me worried that he's not going to be anything, any upgrade either. But I think actually the most concerning thing was throughout the week, we heard Ryan day talk about, you know, we're going to go more old school with this offense. Well, I initially read that as, Oh, they still don't have faith in the quarterback. They want to, you know, give him a little runway. They couldn't run the ball either. Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson both averaged under four yards per carry. And yes, it was against stacked boxes, but that should open up the outside for Marvin Harrison and Mecca Buka. They were non-factors. So, like, what is this team – like, if Ohio State is a defensive-minded team, they're going to have trouble winning the Big Ten against Penn State and Michigan who have better defense, who are better at that style of football. And so, like, I think we have to severely lower our expectations for Ohio State based on that one game because Indiana – for his, I think Tom Allen's a great defensive coach. That offense is terrible, so, of course, the defense looked good. And, like – Ohio State should out-talent them to a point where it's not 23 points in a game where Kyle McCord looks hapless. And so I'm I'm severely concerned about Ohio State coming out of this game. Like, this was – I expected to at least see some glimmers of hope for McCord or Devin Brown, and I didn't see anything that made me feel good about what they have offensively. The ball was out quick. Nothing mm-hmm. downfield. Missed some easy reads. I – Hyper concerning. I'm shocked that Day didn't give Devin Brown at least a shot. I mean, the game yeah. was never in doubt. So I'm surprised in the third quarter, you know, Devin Brown didn't even get a drive. He got one drive in the first half, but it was two handoffs and then a quarterback design run that went nowhere. Yeah. Didn't even throw how the ball. You giving like- your qu- how are you giving your quarterback that? I mean, Devin Brown, by all indications, has a bigger arm, maybe more of like a gunslinger type. How are you not going to put him into the game and change the play calling up, give him a chance, put him in a position to succeed? If you want, I mean, maybe he just wants Kyle McCord to be the quarterback. But that being said, if this is supposed to be like an ongoing competition, you're not really giving Devin Brown much of a a fair shake in this one. Um, I personally think Ohio State is better suited with Devin Brown. You need someone that's going to push the ball down the field. It doesn't look like Kyle McCord has that ability. Um, Hyper concerning. We'll see. I mean, they play Youngstown State this weekend, so – they're going to you know, beat the crap out of them. So maybe that's one where you could see Ohio State try and work on some things. Maybe even Devin Brown gets a shot. But if Kyle McCord is the quarterback, based on – it's a one-game sample size, but that's not what you're trying to see when you're Ohio no. State. Because if they're going to try and be a run-first offense and they're going to try and pound the rock, Michigan and Penn State are better suited at doing that, like you said. But also, like a play-action passing game, Drew Aller and J.J. McCarthy – 
They're not just better than Kyle McCord. They're like way ahead. Leaps and bounds. Yeah. Devin Brown, jury's still out because he does have a bigger arm. He is able to make a few more plays outside the pocket. So maybe the ceiling goes up on Ohio State all of a sudden. But that is not what you want to see from an Ohio State offense, uh, given what the Big Ten East is looking like. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But yeah, so there's some really good surprises, some really poor surprises. Glad we hit on some of the big topics coming out of week one. But enough of week one. Let's talk some week two because Let's go. we had a we had a pretty uh, solid week after going two and five in week zero. We we said we we'd write the ship in week one, and guess what? We did. Uh, right. We each went. What we go four and two each. That's pretty good. Can't complain on that one. Both of our underdogs did lose, but that's okay. It's all in good. Didn't cover either, but it's all in good fun. It's all good. Yeah, we were throwing some darts at the board uh, this week. Similar type of matchup that we talked about last week, and. I'm taking a serious shot. I'm putting my flag in the sand here on a big underdog. We're going to get to that Ooh. in a few minutes. Um, I just I want to bring it up. You know, we each went four and two, so it's all good. But head to head, I got I got you. I got you. Oregon State went over the team total, and San Jose State got the back door home for the full game over. Uh, who uh, Butterfield throws an absolute dot. 30 yards downfield at the seconds horn. Left. At the horn to go over the total. Um, so, Cody, any thoughts on being 0-1 on the heads-up competition here? I We have nothing against each other this week, though, so this is going to linger now. You you might have to start thinking, like, all right, how could I get me – how could you get back at me here? I'm up 1-0. See, you're getting a big head, but if I recall, in week zero, we also went head-to-head, and I got the win in that one. Um, I believe it was um, – let me see – I think it was the Jacksonville State game. If I'm not mistaken, I had the under and you had a team total over. Oh, I didn't even. Oh, no. So we didn't go. This wasn't like full heads up. This wasn't full heads up. And, so rolled, but neither was this one. Neither was this one. I'm going to give myself credit, but it's fine. We, we won't count him for the, we won't count for the rankings. That's a bad job by me. Giving myself a little too much credit. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see if we can get one in the mix. So technically we're one and one. We'll each call it a wash. I honestly, yeah. I try to erase week zero from my brain as fast as possible, given the two and five starts. So I, um, it was one of the few bright spots for me. So <laughs> I, I, it's burned into my memory in a good way, but no, I mean, I saw more from DJU than I did in his entire Clemson career in that game. Oh yeah. Like he looked, he looked confident. And I think that was the bit like by the end, by the end of his run at Clemson, he looked like a shell of the, you know, highly touted recruit that we saw. He just looked like he had no faith in himself and his offense and his playmakers, which, I mean, given what we saw from Clemson this week, perhaps for good reason, even though it's under a new coordinator. But uh, he just looked confident. He was decisive with his throws, but also with the, like, 
One thing that always frustrated me with Clemson is they didn't utilize the fact that they have, you know, a, basically a 250-pound quarterback and a battering ram to take off who has a little bit of mobility to him. So, like, yeah. we saw that from uh, Jonathan Smith and this Oregon State team. So, I I know you were lower on Oregon State uh, coming into the season, but I think with what we saw from DJU, we might, you know, there might be another sleeper in the Pac-12 this year because that team, I understand it was San Jose State, but – I saw more from DJU than I expected to against San Jose State. I got to see it against a legitimate defensive line before I – he had a lot of time back there. I know yeah. Oregon State is a really good offensive line, good run game that could give DJU the time. I just got to see it first against some of these elite competition. But I will say he did look absolutely fantastic. I 100% full credit there, and it was good enough to you know get my over home, so I can't get right. on how they look. Let's talk this week, though. Got a handful of bets we want to give out to you. We're going to start with our favorite over-under on the board. Cody, I'll let you lead off. What's your favorite total bet, uh, over or under? Your call. How do you see it this week? What's your favorite? Oh, we're going under, and we're going under a low total. We're going to the Cyhawk game, and we're going Iowa-Iowa State under 36 and a half. Um, I actually, you know, I was, you know, getting a little information together, and I ran across your preview on BetSided. Uh, last year in the combined 24 games between these two teams, they went over seven times. So these are two under wagons. And yeah. I understand the total's low, but Cade McNamara is coming into this game with an injury. He's still not 100%. His leg's still not 100%. We don't even know if he's going to play the full game. Um, and we saw this Iowa offense who famously, as everyone, every college football fan knows, you know, Brian Ferentz has the 25-point-per-game uh, clause in his contract for this season for his job. They scored 24 points against Utah State, scored in their first two drives and looked like, oh, you know, Brian's Brian's cooking. And then they scored 10 points the rest of the game. That's against Utah State. Now you're going up against an Iowa State team that obviously is an upgrade in talent on the defensive side of the ball and also only put up 30 points against Northern Iowa. And, you know, Phil Parker's defense is going to be ready for this game. Big rivalry game. Uh, Last year, this game was 10-7. I don't see it being much different. I think 36 and a half is giving both of these offenses a little too much credit. I completely agree with you. I haven't fired on this game. It's, it's on the it's on the sheet of like what I'm considering, I'm thinking about. My only concern is what if uh Iowa State quarterback Rocco Becht, who's coming in for Hunter Deckers after the gambling charges, what yeah. if we get a pick six? Iowa one of the most turnover heavy defenses in the entire country. What if there's one mistake and that throws the scoreline all out of whack? Cause in total of 36, it's just my only concern is like one stupid score. And that's it. Because I will say I watched that entire Iowa game. I had Utah stakes. I didn't think Cade McNamara was healthy based on reading through the tea leaves, seeing what was being reported, how he was speaking. He did not look healthy at all. No, I won their first drive of the game had a big kick return to like around the 50, I believe on like the third play, hit a guy wide open on a broke, not a broken play, on a broken coverage, downfield touchdown, Iowa, 7 nothing. After that, the d- offense completely stalled. Did yeah. absolutely nothing. McNamara is not healthy. Did not ex- – I don't know why he played, to be completely honest with you, or like why he played maybe get him out to a lead and then come out. Poor coaching in my opinion because he just doesn't look healthy. I don't know how much better it's going to be in one week. It's under or nothing though because oh, yeah. both offenses are going to struggle – both these defenses, like they, they want to play low scoring. I know the, the clause and everything, but they want to play low mm-hmm. scoring, rock fight, slow this thing down. I, I do think, you know, 
I don't know if Iowa's getting, again, it's the defensive score makes me a little nervous. I lean towards Iowa in the game, even with McNamara's concern. I just wonder, is Iowa State like short on guys that could yeah. really play it? Because Iowa's defense is still fantastic. Cooper DeGene at corner is going to be a future pro. I'm a little nervous there, but I agree with you 100%. I, it's under or nothing for sure. I mean, you look at it and, you know, you're worried about the defensive touchdown. They could have scored two defensive touchdowns last year and it would have still hit this under. So, I mean, like, if we see anything similar to last year, like, you're still safe with a defense. I I just – I have so little faith in the offense that I think it, the cushion for a defensive touchdown is built into this number. Like, I, literally, yeah. I, I just don't see the offenses coming anywhere close to this. Yeah, 100%. Uh, my total, another under – uh, both of ours could have made the, the sicko uh, yeah. <laughs> segment this week, but I'm going to go Missouri, Middle Tennessee State under 48. Mizzou has Kansas State on deck. I don't know if they're rushing to really kind of run up the score in this one. Mm-hmm. And I, this was a defensive-minded Mizzou team um, last year, top 10 in tackles for loss, 19th in success rate, uh, allowed 3.7 yards for carry. Middle Tennessee playing their second straight SEC opponent. I, I think that they're going to break physically, just like exhaustion, beat up. Offense didn't score a point against uh, Alabama last week. They're transitioning into a new quarterback against another SEC defense. What's the ceiling on this team? Seven, ten. Yeah. I just think Missouri, Missouri's trying to, you know, vice grip this game, grounded, you know, sixty minutes running clock, win this one in the neighborhood of, I don't know, thirty-eight seven even less yeah. than that 38 to three. I don't think there's really much incentive for them to air this one out, really get the passing game going. I think Missouri wants to keep this one on the ground, get out of Dodge with a win, get ready for a rivalry game in a bounce back spot. Missouri lost like by like 30, 40 points last year to Kansas state. So uh, to me, I think that this is going to be a slow pace game. So Missouri's not fast anyway. Middle Tennessee doesn't have the offensive weapons to really challenge them. I like under here. No, I, I'm 100% with you. I would not be surprised if we see Missouri run the ball something like 50 times in this game. Like, I I think they're going to be able to manhandle a already, you know, like you said, um, tired Middle Tennessee team that just got beat up by Alabama for 60 minutes last week. And so, like, I think they're just going to push them around, take their six yards per carry, and get out of there with a pretty – like, just clock's going to be running. I just don't – I don't see Mizzou showing anything of note in this game. And so I think that means that – we're just going to see a lot of running and a lot of them stopping Middle Tennessee on defense. Yeah. And, you know, you look at last week, they play South Dakota. They won, you know, by 20 plus, took care of business. 39 to 25 rush to pass ratio. So you could just see when they, they're building a lead and, you know, drink, drink with that coach is just like, okay, let's, let's back this up and let's get this moving and, you know, keep this one on the ground. So I like under 48 there. Did this last week, a ranked team game. We want to make sure we talk about some of the more high profile games. Cody, you are going to, um, you know, your favorite team, North Carolina. We spoke about them earlier. How do you see it going against App State this weekend? Yeah, you mentioned it's a big spread, but I'm taking the Tar Heels minus 18 and a half. Um, last year, we saw this game get absolutely berserk. There were 64 or sorry, 62 points scored in the fourth quarter of this game last year. And the final was 63-61 North Carolina. But I think that goes back to exactly what I was talking about, the problems that I saw from the Tar Heels last year, which was the lack of physicality. Opponents that they should have dominated physically, they didn't. They let App State get into space because they, you know, gave Chase Bryce time. 
they let the offensive playmakers have time because they didn't push around the offensive line. They didn't push around the defense quite as much as they should have. And so I think North Carolina is going to come into this game off that South Carolina win. And I don't see it as a letdown spot because of how last year's game played out. Like Matt Brown Brown is going to be telling these kids, you know, remember when this team almost clipped you last year, they're not going to let that happen again. This is a team that I saw just so much more, willingness to get dirty to do the dirty work that I've seen from them in the past two years and I think that honestly App State beat Gardner-Webb last uh, last week 45-24 I think North Carolina is just going to I think this number what's baked into it is last year's game but I don't think App State has nearly as much offensive offensive success and I think North Carolina pretty much does what they want again yeah uh can't say I agree with you I kind of like the App State side I think three returners on the offensive line, elite offensive line, Noel at running back, top three receivers. I will say, though, uh, Ryan Berger, who won the quarterback job away from Juco transfer Joey Aguilar, uh, Berger hurt his uh, finger, hand, yeah. finger, I think it is. He's out for this game, so it's going to be Aguilar. He played perfectly fine against Gardner-Webb uh, through four touchdown passes, so he was cooking. But um, I just wonder, this is – It's a big spread that North Carolina, you know, this defensive line better be what they looked like last week. Like that, if that's a fluke, then App State's covering this game. If App State's gonna be able to like control the rock and just get out of dodge with, you know, controlling the the pace of this game and you know, keeping Drake May off the field. No, and I I understand those concerns. I'm definitely, I mean, let's be honest, there's probably a little bit of Homer, Homer pick baked into this (laughs) one a little bit. Um but at the same time, I do I, – I was thoroughly impressed because, like, it, I understand that, um, you know, the win against South Carolina probably says a lot about South Carolina in the trenches. But that's the type of game that North Carolina did not has not taken advantage of in, in the past few years under Mac Brown. And the fact that they were has me way more encouraged. Like, I was down on North Carolina coming into this year. I was like, oh, great, you know, we're going to – this team's going to go seven and five. Like – it's just going to be a disappointing season where we, where they, excuse me, sorry, throwing the we in there, um, <laughs> but uh, where they, uh, you know, where they don't capitalize on Drake May's talent. And I saw a team that's bought in and that is playing for each other and with physicality that hasn't been there in a long time. So I just think with an inferior opponent in App State, I think we see that play out on the field. Fair points. Uh, ranked team game for me. I'm going to go over. 57 and a half in Michigan UNLV. Ooh. Um, UNLV transitioning offenses to the go-go offense under, you know, rising offensive coordinator uh, Marion put up 44 points uh, in just 20 minutes of time of possession. I mean, they were ripping off chunk plays, average over seven yards per carry, hit a few big plays downfield. And I know that's Bryant. They were playing and now they're right. playing Michigan, but with the pace so fast, they were top five in plays per minute. That's just going to give Michigan the ball more. And mm-hmm. one of the weirdest box scores of all of week one, UNLV won 44 to 14. Brian had as many total yards as UNLV had, yet they lost by 30. UNLV's <laughs> defense did not play well whatsoever. Brian missed, they went one for four on fourth downs, few uh, untimely uh, you know sacks and turnovers and everything. Game got away from them. I think UNLV with their new offensive look, and this isn't East Carolina that Michigan played last week. This is a UNLV offense that has some veterans, some you know juice in it. Davis at wide receiver, Brumfeld at quarterback. I think UNLV could find the 
end zone once or twice against this Michigan defense that they sat a lot of guys last week. I don't know if they're rushing to throw guys into the fire. You know, they're trying to save them for the bigger games on deck against you know, Penn State, Ohio State, Big Ten play. So I don't know how much Michigan's defense is going to get run. And you look at Michigan's offense, scored 30 points, probably should have scored closer to like 40, 45 points. Uh, got a goal line stand in the third quarter, missed, I believe, an extra point, missed a field goal. Um, UNLV's defense outside the top 100 in line yards last year, outside the top 100 in explosive pass defense. Like I just said, they let up 400 yards uh, to Bryant. I think UNLV's pace is only going to help Michigan get more drives that are going to lead to touchdowns. And I think Michigan's putting up a big old number this week. Talk about like J.J. Heisman campaign. Uh, this is yeah. how you, you, you've had the stats this week. You let J.J. McCarthy get five touchdowns and 350 yards. Uh, you let him get a few, you know, rushing touchdowns around the goal line, a little play-action bootleg in there. <laughs> I think Michigan hangs, you know, mid-40s on this one. But I think UNLV could, you know, at least one touchdown, maybe two, help them, this one get over the total. I like Michigan – you and I'll be over 57 and a half. So I honest, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't given this game a whole lot of thought. Um, it's kind of just it's not going to be a blowout. <laughs> oh yeah, be, absolutely. It's going to be a, a beat down. But to your point, like, you know, Michigan left a little meat, a little meat on the bone last week, but they also didn't have a uh, Sharon Moore. Their offensive coordinator was suspended with Jim Harbaugh for week one. So I think like some of that can be attributed to that. Like a, you don't want to, you know, let all your bullets out of the chamber against a team like East Carolina, who doesn't stand a chance. Maybe not so against UNLV, but with the number of possessions and, you know, the full offensive staff in the building, uh, Harbaugh's still not there, but, you know, Sharon Moore's back. Like, I just I'm, – I'm with you. I think they're going to put up a big number. Uh, honestly, you know, if they get frisky and there's enough possessions, there's a world where Michigan hits this total by themselves. It's definitely in play. UNLV yeah. ran 2.8 plays per minute last week. Crazy. Yeah, they ripped off explosive. Again, this is a new look, go-go offense. It's unique. Uh, it's not played much at the FBS level, so there's not a ton of film on this one. So maybe it's an offense that can maybe hit a few more chunk plays than East Carolina did, who's, you know, they're starting completely over their roster. So um, yeah. over there, upset alert time. I'm going to go okay. first because mine's a little bit more bold. I'm going to go yes. SMU plus 540 on the money line against Oklahoma. I – think that there's too much love for Oklahoma all of a sudden. This was a team went under 500 last year, couldn't get enough stops on defense. I mean, bottom half of the country in success rate. No one really knew how to rate Brent Venables after one year. Okay. I get they just beat the crap out of Arkansas State, maybe the worst team in the entire country, 73 to nothing. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> but they SMU is not Arkansas State. You know, if you're counting in a year or two jump for Brent Venables in Oklahoma, why can't we say the same about SMU as second year offensive, second year head coach, former Miami offensive coordinator, Rhett Lashley coming in with the long awaited quarterback of SMU faithful Preston Stone coming in. He looked fantastic in a win over Louisiana Tech. They were up 31 nothing at half, just absolutely packed it in and they kept it moving. SMU is a high total. Both offenses could cook, absolutely. I just don't see as much of a difference. I think that this spread should be closer to like 11. I'll give Oklahoma mm -hmm. the home field, but we watched Kansas State go into Norman last year and blow them out, and Oklahoma couldn't get stops in the second half and couldn't get back into the game after trailing by two scores at halftime. 
TCU rung them up with a high explosive offense last year. Then Dylan Gabriel got hurt, but they were down in that game early anyway. Why can't SMU hit explosives early in this game and build a lead? Why can't SMU hold off uh, Oklahoma second half push on the road? I think this number is way, way, way too big for two offenses that could hum. I think these teams are closer together. So give me SMU over two touchdowns. And I, I think that they're super live in this game. They're up to the task with some of their uh, defensive additions this year through the portal. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a classic ACC uh, SEC matchup this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but no, I'm 100% with you. I mean, I think that this line, as dumb as what I'm about to say may sound, uh, is inflated because, you know, Oklahoma made Butch Jones cry last week. Like, they made the man drop to his knees and cry on the sidelines. But, like, Arkansas State is horrendous. Like, they're there's no sugarcoating that. They're a horrible football team. And SMU – looked better than I expected in week one under in year two under Rhett Lashley. Like I, I wasn't forecasting a huge jump in year two, but I saw, you know, a bigger jump than I expected. And whenever you get two offenses that are explosive like this, I do think that a number that's over two touchdowns is always really tricky to bet if you're trying to take the favorite. So I think you're on the right side here. My one counter would be, what we saw from Jackson Arnold, albeit against Arkansas State, if you know Gabe, if you know SMU comes out and jumps out to an early lead, and Dylan Gabriel stum- uh, stumbles even slightly, I think Oklahoma has the backup plan that's actually better than the starting plan in Jackson Arnold. Like he he looks like the goods, so that would concern me slightly. Is the fact that there's a Gabriel replacement ready to take over at any moment and. That's a little bit of projection for me, a little bit of recruiting brain for me, but that uh, I'm I'm in a wait and see mode with Oklahoma games until I see, you know, Gabriel either take the job, take the bull by the horns, and not let Arnold have a chance, or until Arnold takes over. It's a fair point. I will say this about taking the spread with SMU. Obviously, we're talking upset alert, but just taking over two touchdowns because I think that's like kind of the the general idea, right? Like money yeah. lines, like we think a team is live, but we also, you know, we think that this team is a good bet to cover, obviously. SMU's defense, they – it's Louisiana Tech and their um, their offense looks in much more dire straits than I expected. But SMU's defense, like they were in the backfield often in that game, and they were mm-hmm. making plays. They were making havoc plays, really, you know, turning – I mean, you know, 21% havoc rate. That's 95th percentile um, across games last year. So this was – if that SMU defense, which was terrible last year, is starting to make more plays, starting to be ball hawks more, a few turnovers, try and shorten a few possessions, get Oklahoma behind the sticks a little bit, get the ball back. I just think that there's a big expectation that Oklahoma's back all of a sudden, and we don't really have that like proven. Like that's our idea. We're like Oklahoma the past five years, ten years. You know, Oklahoma's been this juggernaut. Last year they were six and seven, really struggled on the defensive side of the ball. Just because they beat Arkansas State, it's just a, it, it's a lot to just say. Okay, Oklahoma's back to their previous rating before last year. Mm-hmm. Just a big number, in my opinion. So I think uh, let's take a shot here. Let's see if we could uh, bring one home. What, what's your underdog look this week? So uh, I'm actually going with the team that I picked against in my upset uh, pick last year. Uh, I'm going to Lane plus a touchdown plus seven against Ole Miss. Uh, Tulane's at home for this game in New Orleans, and I got to tell you, the Green Wave, uh, they surprised me. I was preaching that Tajay Spears was the heartbeat of that offense. Uh, 
No, it might actually be Michael Pratt. Uh, they looked my dynamite. Man, they looked my awesome. Man, he threw 15 times for 294 yards and four touchdowns. Like they were ripping off one explosive play after the next. And it was unbelievable to watch. Like they, South Alabama just didn't have an answer. But even more impressive than that, Willie Fritz knows how to coach a defense, man. Like that South Alabama team, one of the reasons I was high on them, and I'm I, I'm still high on South Alabama for long term this season. Like I think they're going to contend for the Sun Belt, but like that's an experienced offense, and they had no answers for this Tulane or Tulane defense uh, consistently at least. And so now you're going up against an Ole Miss team who, sure, they hung seventy on Mercer. I think you, I, and the bet sided fan sided crew might be able to hang a couple <laughs> touchdowns on Mercer. Like let's be real about this, and like. We saw, you know, Lane, uh, Lane Kiffin's transfer portal home for wayward quarterbacks. Uh, all of them take the field. Walker Howard even got some run after Spencer Sanders and Jackson Dart. But I think that both of these defenses, when you get into this level of game, like I don't think Tulane's going to have the same type of performance, but I think they can slow down Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders in this offense. Quinchon Jud- Judkins, who was actually kind of pedestrian against Mercer, if we're being really honest about that. But you look at the Ole Miss defense and – the reason this team faded so hard last year was they couldn't stop anyone. They couldn't stop a cold. And you look at the way that Tulane was able to, with so much ease, reel off explosive plays. I think it's kind of a similar principle to what you're looking at with SMU in Oklahoma, where I think we're kind of looking at a back and forth shootout type of game. And if Tulane gets out to an early lead plus 245 on the money line, like that seems live, especially in New Orleans. Like, you know that crowd's going to be fired up to, you know, stick it to an SEC team, just like they, you know, Tulane did in the bowl game last year against USC. Yeah, don't hate the look at all. I think it, that game's also – I mean, this is like a loaded slate of games. A lot mm-hmm. of fun ones. I, I, I don't hate the look at all, especially getting a, a touchdown or more with Tulane. Moving to the late night slate, uh, Cody and myself will definitely be up – watching be a little bit earlier for him but i'll i'll be you know work, <laughs> working the screens until well after 1 a.m uh on the east coast i'll go first stanford usc total 69 and a half nice not high enough it's just not high enough usc yeah. uh has been beating the brakes off of two mountain west teams but at the same time they allowed 28 to san jose state they allowed 14 to nevada i think that this defense still has a ton of concerns they play a Stanford team that I need to give credit to. They mm-hmm. looked really good against Hawaii last week. Troy Taylor had the offense looking correct, looking like they were put together. They had a sound game plan. They were playing pretty fast, too. Good blocking upfield, ran a few trick plays. I was very impressed with Stanford. Definitely, I'm not saying that this team is doing anything this year, but a slight bump in the power rating. I was pretty uh, impressed with how Stanford called their plays, how they looked on offense. USC's defense is still a huge problem. Uh, oh, yes. if, you allow, if you allow 14 points in Nevada, that is a huge concern. You should be blanking that team if you have the talent USC does. So if you're going to allow 14 to Nevada, I'm going to pencil Stanford in for at least 20. I think they're going to find the end zone at least twice, maybe even more, and you know get a few field goals. I think Troy Taylor has this offense further ahead than we expected. That being said, the defense is going to be tough to resonate with. Uh, right. The team is bottom five returning production on defense. And if they weren't pushing around Hawaii's offensive line so often, Braden Traeger, when he had time to fire, he was finding guys downfield for Hawaii. He just got, he was running around for his life a lot of time. USC's offensive line is obviously far, 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 far <laughs> superior to Hawaii's. So I think Caleb Williams and the offense are going to cook once again 55, like, you know, he did against San Jose State. 
66, I believe it was, against Nevada. Those numbers are well in range for USC in this game. I think the tempo's going to be pretty fast. I think something in the neighborhood of USC breaking into the high 50s, low 60s, very much in play. And then Stanford, you know, get into 20 or so. I think this game breaks 70 relatively easy, especially with Stanford playing at a, a pretty heightened pace, pretty fast pace uh, relative to what we expected. So, yeah, I think this is more of a a bump to Stanford's offense that they can maybe, you know, hang around, you know, and do enough to get over this really high total um, while also recognizing that USC's defense or USC's offense is still, you know, as good as any in the country. Yeah, I think what stands out to me specifically with like bumping up Stanford's offense just a little bit, like they look far more competent than I think either of us expected is the simple fact that that means Caleb Williams is going to play more and Stanford's not going to have an offense for, or an answer for Caleb Williams led offense. So like, I mean, you know, imagine what they're hanging on Nevada if Caleb Williams plays four quarters. And yeah. I'm not saying he's going to play four quarters in this game because it's probably also going to be a blowout. But, like, he's going to play a little longer. There's going to be more meaningful snaps for the first-team offense. And, yeah, I mean, I I could see this game getting the 80s pretty easily. So, like, getting under 70 or, you know, getting a total under 70 mm-hmm. to hit the over on, I love that. So, yeah. you definitely uh, – you might have stole this one for me. You might have uh, gotten <laughs> your pick into the dock a little bit before I did. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I I want to hear your thoughts on this game. I, I you're looking at the total in Auburn Cal. I I think that this is going to be one of the more interesting games on the week two slate, especially late at night. Should get uh, a decent amount of attention. I think mean, you know competitive spread. Auburn lay in six and a half. How do you see the total going though? Uh, so I'm going under 54 and a half, which probably seems pretty counterintuitive considering both of these teams hit the over over this total by themselves last week. Uh, granted, you know, level of competition, uh, it was North Texas, uh, for Cal and then UMass for Auburn. So let's take that with a grain of salt. But I think that one thing that we saw from both of these teams is that their quarterback, their quarterbacks in Ben Finley and then, uh, Peyton Thorne for Auburn, they have power five experience, obviously, but they're also, there's the reason that both of those players transferred was not because they wanted to go to a bigger job. They transferred because they weren't, you know, clear cut starters at their current homes, NC State and Michigan State. Peyton Thorne may have been, but he, they, he needed a change of scenery because that Michigan, Michigan State offense was horrendous last year. And they had success against lower level competition. But I think when you get against a power five defense, I don't trust either of these quarterbacks to have success in the passing game. And the one thing that I'm encouraged about with both these teams defensively is their run defense. And I think that even though both these teams ran the ball well last week, I think that they're going to have a much more difficult time, even though they're going to try to rely on the run game. And so I think we're looking at limited possessions to take the ball out of the quarterback's hands largely against, because I, I can't imagine either team having a ton of faith in either of these quarterbacks. And so I think we're limiting possessions and I think the run defenses are stout enough to keep this total under 54 and a half. My one concern, um, we don't know about uh, Sam Jackson. The, he started the game for Cal. Correct, uh, he yes. left. He, he took a like big hit, nasty fall. I, I think it was like his lower back or something. Uh, pretty ugly. But um, Finley came in for him, and I mean, Cal was just playing at such a frenetic pace. I wonder if North Texas, their fast tempo, played a role into that. But that's my only concern with the total is if Cal is playing too fast. Yeah then maybe there's just too many possessions for this game to stay under the total. But I do agree. I think we got to see this from Cal's offense. I mean, listen, they put up a bunch of points. I think Auburn, there's a higher floor there for sure with 
you know, the talent there, that's SEC level talent. Phil Montgomery's a good offensive play caller. Hugh Freeze there as well, obviously the head coach. Their offense a little bit more proven. I don't know if we could count on Cal to necessarily put up the offense, but I mean, odds makers are expecting a fairly competitive game here in mm-hmm. Berkeley. Weird spot for Auburn. So maybe the offense struggles. I mean, they're playing at Cal and cross country flight night game. Definitely a weird setup for Auburn. They might be walking into like a bear trap. Uh, Golden Bears. That was pretty good. <laughs> I did that one naturally. Uh, they might be walking to a bit of a bear trap, though. This late game, Hugh Freeze was complaining about it to the media, though. He thinks it's like such a weird setup because it is a weird setup. It's like when oh, yeah. uh, it's similar to when Texas Tech opened their season at Wyoming and lost a two touchdown. <laughs> it's, it's a weird, weird game early in the year. Maybe things get wonky. And I think, I don't know if Cal, maybe the goal with Spavadol as the OC is to really just outpace teams. I don't know if it's going to work against Auburn, though, with the level of athletes they have. But we'll see. Should be a, a really interesting game. Yeah, I'm intrigued by it. And to your point about if Cal plays at that same pace, which I don't I don't expect them to do because I think Justin Wilcox is smart enough to tell his coaching staff, hey, this is an SEC defense. We're not going to be able to treat mm. them like North Texas. Um, but even if they do, and I don't think they're going to have as much success, obviously, against SEC caliber, uh, you know, players on de- on the defensive side of the ball. And so I think that in that case that Hugh Freeze is going to be content to play conservatively because he's not in a spot where he wants to, you know, be playing a late night game in Cal and lose guys that are going to get hurt for this in like hurt them for SEC play. So mm. I just I don't see either team necessarily. A, well, obviously, I don't see either team uh, playing at that same pace that they did last week. But at the same time, I think that this is more of a grinded out type of affair, specifically because, like you said, in this situation, it's such an odd spot. Yeah, completely agree. Let's talk biggest game on the board this week. Kind of buried the lead here, but (laughs) Texas, Alabama, second straight year meeting last year. Of course, Quinn Ewers goes down the first half. Texas has an early lead. Bryce Young does Bryce Young things, leads the tied back late field goal, and Texas misses another late field goal in the final minute to lose. Bama holds on 20 to 19. Do not cover us. Three touchdown road favorites. Yeah. The two, the two are back together this time in Tuscaloosa. Bama laying around a touchdown total of 54 and a half. Cody, how are you eyeing this game? Some key matchups, some, you know, strong opinions here, or are you just kind of excited to sit back and watch this one? I have strong opinions. Um, if we weren't talking much like last week with Florida State, if we weren't talking about this game in itself, I would have been uh, had them on the upset alert in the money line. I have Texas plus seven in this game. I, uh, I mean, I came into this year. We said I said in the preseason show that you know I had Texas to as a, a bet to make the college football playoff. I had Quinn Ewers as a Heisman pick. They were my Clemson, um, and. I feel like after week one, when Texas kind of, you know, played with their food a little bit in the first half against Rice, that everyone's like, oh, you know, this is proof Texas isn't back. I Nothing I saw from that offense said, oh, this is what that offense is going to look like against Alabama. It was the most vanilla play calling I've ever seen in my entire life until they needed to get a few scores and they pulled out like a couple tricks for some explosive plays. But I think when you come down to it, like Alabama figured out their quarterback battle pretty, pretty quickly. Like Jalen Melrose is very clearly the guy. Yeah. Uh, granted, it was Middle Tennessee, but he definitely showed that his you know ability to take off and run and make plays with his legs was huge. 
but he did not play perfectly. Everyone wants to paint it like he played perfectly. There were some miscues where he took a sack. He had a botch snap that he ended up taking in for a touchdown. You're not going to be able to make those plays against this Texas defense. For all of the, you know, the focus that was on how you know sleepwalking it looked like the Texas offense was in the first half against Rice, that defense was fast. That defense was everywhere. That defense made JT Daniels' life an absolute living hell. And if you have a quarterback who clearly is still mistake-prone against a team like Middle Tennessee – putting them up against the speed that Texas is going to be able to throw at them, a team that I think matches up pretty well in the trenches with Alabama, even with how good Alabama is in the trenches. I think Texas is really live to win this game outright. I think that they have better playmakers on offense. And then I think that that defense is good enough to frustrate a young inexperienced quarterback to where if Texas can get out to an early lead, that Alabama may not have the juice to come back. I, I think you make a lot of great points. I don't have a strong opinion on the side because you know, I'm not necessarily a Texas believer, right? I'm will. I'm not, it's not like I'm like anti-Texas. I'm betting Alabama in this game, but I just, I'm pumping my brakes a little bit. I'm a little bit more cautious on Texas rather than other teams. I like the under though, in this game quite a bit because I, I see all game States leading towards more of a rock fight than explosive fly. You mentioned put the pressure on Milrow, you know, make the, make him into a pass or shut down the run game. I mean, is Saban really going to let Milrow chuck this ball around the yard? I don't think so. I think that this is going to yeah. be – I believe that Nick Saban's MO in this game and how his ideal game state is going to be is we want to muck this game up. We want to make it a grind. We want to force Quinn Ewers into serious passing downs. We want to limit the explosive pass, keep everything in front of us. And on offense – we're going to try and just stay ahead of schedule, rip up, you know, third and two, pick up the first, keep this thing moving, play some ball control, limit the possessions for a Texas offense that can make probably more explosive plays than us and win the possession battle and get out of this one, let's call it 24-17. I think Texas has the ceiling to hang 35 in this game. They have the ceiling for sure because they have the talent. I think Nick Saban knows that and he knows if Texas hang 35, we're probably going to lose this game. So he knows yes. that he needs to keep the ball in Texas offense hands. That being said, Texas allowed eight tackles for loss to Rice, three sacks. Maybe the offensive line isn't as ahead of schedule as we think, because I think this Alabama defense, a few injuries, but Malachi Moore and Key, they both practice today. So maybe they're on track to play uh, in the secondary. It's a secondary that's top 10 in completion percentage allowed, top 10 in explosive pass defense, return a lot in the uh, secondary. Ewers, I mentioned this in our preseason pod. Outside, this was Texas offense outside the top 100 in explosive pass rate. If Alabama's getting home and doesn't need to send an extra men, I just this game is going to be a grind. I think that un, you know Texas can win this game. You know in the 20s for sure. I think that game probably lends itself more to Bama in my opinion. But I just I struggle to see either offense really teeing off here in this game becoming a shootout. I think Game State 100 percent leans towards the under end. Um, you know, I was chatting about the game and something that I think is super insightful, not even my idea. Uh, I think if Bama has the lead, you're going to see for the first time in like a really big game, like a team try and play like an NFL team and go on like a real death march and try and really suck the game out. Like, let's say Bama leads by like one score with like seven minutes left. Yeah. You're going to see Saban really try and take the air out of the ball and really say, like, 
All right, we're going to try and get three first downs and end this game on this drive right now. We're not letting Texas see the ball again. Like you see more in the NFL because obviously with the new clock rules that when in college now you're more capable of doing that where the clock's always running. You weren't really able to do that in college because the clock was always stopping first down, this and that. Now you're more incentivized to do that. I think you could see Saban really lean into that. The first real like marquee matchups of doing that. What do you think about that? So I actually do like the underplay. Um, even with my Texas plus seven pick as well, because we saw it last year without Quinn Ewers for three quarters of that game. Texas should have won that game, even losing Quinn in that game. And it, like, you know, had they hit that late field goal, it's 22 20 is the final, which hits your under pretty comfortably. And Texas yeah. did it. And I think, I think that what we saw in the second half from Ewers showed a lot. And also, like, if I'm not mistaken, the majority of those tackles for loss against Rice came in the first half. Like that Texas team looked like they came out in that Rice game when also I don't know if you saw the field temperature at uh Daryl K. Royal. I did. But was it like uh, ten thousand degrees? 156. Yeah. So maybe so, they, so listen, I will say just to cut you off, maybe they went just super vanilla because they didn't want, but you're still not like I feel like we should have seen a little bit more from Texas. That's all I'm saying. I feel like they should have, like, it should have been a little bit more crisp. It should have been, like, they should have been up by 21 nothing after the first quarter, in my opinion. And I, I'm not arguing with that. I would have loved, given my bullishness on Texas this season, mm-hmm. I would have loved to see that. That's what I wanted to see. I didn't see it. So, like, yeah. I get where that's coming from. But at the same time, like, I think we saw yours in the second half come out and play, like, a much more poised quarterback than I think we saw last year consistently. And the fact that we only saw for one half does worry me slightly that maybe he's not going to be consistent with that poise. But I think that even if there is pressure from Alabama, I think that he's matured as a decision maker. I mean, the mullet's gone, obviously he's matured. Um, But in all seriousness, this guy, I think he is all world talent and he has all world talent all around him. And I think like, even if Saban says, keep everything in front of you, keeping AD Mitchell in front of you is great on paper, but they have the play. (laughs) They have the playmakers that, you know, burn the pieces of paper that say you want to keep the guys in front of you. So like, I just think that there's a chance that Texas just has the playmakers who can blow up a game script in an instant. And I think that's, I don't see that necessarily on Alabama, especially if like what you're saying, Saban tries to muck this game up. I think Texas is one play away from being right back in that game. Uh, Right. Texas wins straight up. Texas wins. Yes. What's the final score? I'm going Texas 27, Alabama 23. Okay. All right. I'll go. I'll go Bama 24 to 16. Oh, oh, the yeah, dagger I, right there. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Bama wins 24 16. I, I think okay. I, I, I don't know. That's, I'm not betting Bama, but I, I think, I, I don't know. I think Bama's defense has the edge in this one, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll oh, yeah. come back to that I mean, one. I'm excited for this one. No matter what oh, yeah. happens, this is going to – this is – I mean, last year's game was incredible, and we didn't even get Quinn Ewers for four quarters. So I'm I'm incredibly excited for this one. Absolutely. Of course, can't get out of here without a sicko's pick. Cody, you are looking at one of the sickest games on the board. Uh, how are you eyeing Arkansas-Kent State? Uh, I'm laying with Arkansas. Give me Arkansas minus 37 in this game against Kent State. Look – Kent State was absolutely destroyed this offseason via the transfer portal, via Coach Prime, taking their head coach to be Colorado's offensive coordinator. And we saw it play out in week one. Uh, UCF beat them 56-6 to 6 
And we know what John Reese Plumley and that Gus Malzahn offense, and it's not dissimilar from what KJ Jefferson and Arkansas like to run. I think that there's just so many, there's such a talent discrepancy in this game that we're just going to see a ton of explosive plays early from Arkansas. They're going to put in the backups and we're going to see what, you know, it's still going to be a mismatch. I just don't think Kent state has anything close to what it takes to keep it within 40 against an sec team. Even one that's like not top tier, like Arkansas. I just think that there's so much explosiveness when you look at KJ Jefferson, when you look at rocket Sanders and this Arkansas team, an offensive line, that's always going to be a bully when under Sam Pittman, that's going to be one of the best coach offensive lines. I don't see the golden flashes really even whimpering in this one. Yeah, I think it's totally fair. I think Arkansas, SEC offense, uh, UCF covered. I don't even think UCF played that great of a, a game, yeah. to be honest with you. Like, Ark, compare what a UCF close, like 30, I'm going to draw a blank now, like something like 34 and a half, 35, if I'm not mistaken. 34 and a half or 35, I can't remember which one. Yeah, yeah it was one but of those two. Arkansas is only two points better than that? Right, exactly. And Kent State doesn't have the depth either. That like, no. like to play, like this is like the marginal return, right? Like Kent State, sure, it's your first game. Like you're playing UCF, whatever. Like maybe you hold up in that game. You're now playing another high level opponent for the second trade game, a much better opponent, honestly, than yeah. UCF. And so Arkansas minus 37, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. Uh, mine, UAB, Georgia Southern over 60. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, this is pretty sick. I mean, <laughs> you look at Georgia Southern – their offense was absolutely fantastic last year. I mean, top 10 across the board. Now I think that they have an upgrade at quarterback in Davis Brin from Tulsa. When healthy last year was, you know, played at like a top 20 rate when it came to EPA per pass. Mm-hmm. They're playing a UAB team that's still a little bit of an unknown with Trent Dilfer as head coach. We don't know. What I am expecting, though, is a serious step back on defense. Yeah, uh, This is a complete departure. Alex Morrison's the new OC. They're really going to try and push the ball down the field. Again, it's North Carolina A and T, so I'm not even making a crazy, um, you know, reaction to the fact that they won 35 to six. But like Jacob Zeno, the quarterback, completed 38 of 41 passes on seven yards a pop. Like that's incredible efficiency, and that's some really good scheme work there. UAB won 35 to six. It was 21 to nothing at half, and then they pretty much just wrapped up shop. I think that this game is going to be a banger. Like in terms of explosives, left and right. Both defenses are not very good. They're both gutted with transfers, so they don't even, like, are really familiar yet and cohesive yet. And I like both quarterbacks. I just think that this total, I think it's baking in too much of UAB last year and not the fact that this is a different type of offense with different play callers and different skill position players against a Georgia Southern team that we saw them play high-scoring games last year. I want to pull up really quick the Georgia Southern scores from last year. I mean, this is a team regularly trying to outscore opponents. I mean, they did not win at all with their defense, just pulling up their 22 schedule now. Georgia Southern. Okay, ready? Just going down the line of what games Georgia Southern played last year. 59-7 against Morgan State. 45-42 at Nebraska. At UAB last year, 35-21. Okay, again, we are now departing from UAB's defensive first mindset. Mm -hmm. So 35-21 in that game. Beat Ball State 34-23. Lost at Coastal 34-30. Lost at Georgia State 41-33. Are you sensing a theme here with total catching high <laughs> Just a little bit. It's the Clay Helton special. James Madison, who had one of the best defense in the country last year, 45-38 win. Uh, Old Dominion 28-23. South Alabama 38-31. I'll, I'll skip the rest. 
There's still a few games that go over, I promise. But yeah. I just think that this game is being played in the high 30s rather than the high 20s for this total. So give me the over UAB Georgia Southern. That's pretty sick, I think. I, I think that's one of the sicker ones on the board. It's absolutely sick, but I, I, I'm i in love with it. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> – uh, I mean, that's the Clay Helton special, though. Like, that's why USC's defense, in my opinion, is in the state that it's in is because Clay Helton left him with, oh, we only care about offense, you know? So, like – that's just how he coaches football. And I mean, you have a former NFL quarterback with zero head coaching experience. What side of the ball do you think he's focusing on? And like, like you said, 38 to 41, there are quarterbacks in power five leagues who can't do that on air, like much less against the defense. It's NCA and T, but like there, there are quarterbacks who can't do that on against, you know, tackling dummies. So I think over 60, like that total to me looks about five to seven points too low, honestly. Yep. That. That, yeah, well, let's go. Okay, <laughs> that's our show. Great time. A little bit longer than expected, but it was all good fun. We really got into the weeds on a lot of games. Really pumped with um, all the insight we were given. And hopefully this week we get over 500 and we're never looking back. But nope. before we recap our picks, in case you missed the entire show, let me tell you about our good friends at DraftKings and the special offer they're giving you. Again, use the promo code STB, which stands for Stack in the Box, this fine, fine program. If you're a new customer, you sign up with DraftKings, use that code STB, bet $5, you get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Instantly. Win, lose, draw, does not matter. That's it. $5, 200 if you use the code STB. Cody, let's run down all our picks for the people that missed it. Where are you leaning this week as we look to get over 500? And like I said, we're never looking back. That's right. Uh, so we're going to get to 500 with Iowa, Iowa State under 36 and a half. Uh, I also have North Carolina minus 18 and a half against App State. Uh, upset alert, I have Tulane plus 245 against Ole Miss. They're also plus seven against the spread. Um, Auburn and Cal in the late night window, I have under 54 and a half. Uh, I'm riding with Texas plus seven in that marquee matchup against Alabama. And then uh, Sicko's pick of the week, we're going Arkansas minus 37 against Kent State. Love it. And for me, I'm going to go Missouri, Middle Tennessee, under 48, Michigan, UNLV, over 57 and a half, uh, SMU plus 15 and a half, and don't be afraid to sprinkle on the money line. They might be live in that game. Uh, Stanford, USC, over 69 and a half, the Alabama, Texas, under 54 and a half, and the UAB Georgia Southern over 60. Oh, a lot of totals for me. A lot of, lot of totals. Yeah, you're total heavy. Gonna, yeah, total heavy. Let's see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, great show, Cody. Best of luck this weekend. We have no head-to-heads, but I'm sure. Yeah, you as well. well, we'll see if we can break the, we, I'll see if we can break this tie up, though. Maybe uh, someone can pull ahead of the other. But until next week, everyone, best of luck on your bets. We will see you same time next Wednesday, 3 o'clock Eastern. This is Stack in the Box College Football. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.